vegan and plant-based business owners and entrepreneurs were often adapting to a new reality. This new podcast series from Vegan Mainstream is an opportunity to help you when it's time to pivot. These interviews will come from inside and outside of our community, and I hope as your host, Stephanie Redcross West, I can inspire you and give you the tools that you need to move forward. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to our next interview. I'm excited about today's guest because we're going to be talking about really reimagining leather. For many of us vegans out there, you know, we want products that are not harming animals. We want products that are really reimagining also the kind of supply chain of everything that we do. And what I'm excited about our guest today is she's playing a pivotal role in that. This is an opportunity for us to really bring kind of veganism through many of the products that we all buy every day. And being able to get those options really in everything that you purchase. Because I feel like sometimes, you know, there's the frontier around food that there's been amazing advances in. But when it comes to products like, you know, purses, shoes, you know, even down to buying a car, many of us struggle because we don't maybe see the alternatives that we hope should be there and ultimately we believe must be there for us to have not only a better product, but also make sure we're saving animals. So tonight, or today, I should say, <laughs> I'm excited about today's guest because hopefully we're going to be diving into, you know, how do we all kind of understand what is vegan leather? I'm also really curious to kind of talk about what is in vegan leather, because for many of us, we're just curious. Now, I've done a little bit of research, so I have some ideas, but many of you who are maybe listening today, you may be wondering, you know, how does it come about? How is it produced? How is it created? And also, how do we have amazing people like our guests today that are leading the charge and helping make us as consumers, not only better and smarter consumers, but consumers that can continue to bring the message forward of taking animals out of products and also being able to still have a fancy, cool, slick beautiful outfit as well. Because the idea is that we should not have to go into fashion and mean that animals have to be harmed. So without further ado, let me just say hello to Stephanie Downs, our guest today. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining me. Happy to be here. Nice to nice to join you, Stephanie. Perfect. So before we get into Uncaged, before we get into specifically you know, the venture that you're working on now, let's rewind the clock a little bit. Let's give people a little bit of background because what I think is amazing about who you are and what you've done is you've been very active in not only the movement, you've been an entrepreneur for many, many years, and also you've been an activist. So I think just so everyone kind of knows where, you know, you know where you come from in a sense, um, let's give them a little bit of background on what roles you've played before you know, bringing uncaged into the world. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's a, and it's a long kind of windy journey, which I think is a, a good lesson for everybody to say, you know, stay the course, you, you will find your path. Um, so for me, 
a lot of, I mean, my background is all in business, um, mainly in marketing. I started my first company in 1999, which was a digital marketing company, which is not interesting today, but in 1999, you had to explain to people what that was. And um, so it was a good time to get in on that. But at that time, I also, that was actually around the time that was kind of the beginning of my path toward veganism. I was a meat eater. And um, then I started volunteering at an animal shelter just to really kind of decrease some stress from being an entrepreneur. Next thing I know, I'm on the board of directors. I'm running the annual fundraiser. <laughs> then I went went vegetarian. Then I went vegan, and you know, just kind of really just fell in love with you know my my love of animals and uh, found my place. And that ultimately led me to um, doing work for PETA, doing helping PETA out, doing corporate negotiations, which meant that I would go meet with various you know global companies and talk to them about why they should want to remove animals from the supply chain. So I worked with um, various fashion brands. I worked with Tesla and going vegan on their interiors and just different, different, all kinds of different projects from glue traps to, to leather interiors. And, um, and then I sold my first company in 2015, or excuse me, 2014. And then I had an opportunity working with New Crop Capital, which is now called Unovus Partners, a venture capital firm, to start a company in the plant-based food space. And a uh, long story, but I ended up starting a company in India with um, a couple local local partners and really just saw that as an opportunity because not a lot at the time was going on in India concerning plant-based meats or vegan foods and really wanted to do something to spark something there. So we started what quickly became the largest plant-based meat company in India. And um, I was part of that venture and, and led that venture for three years and then exited and decided to get into materials, uh, mainly because of the, the work I'd done for PETA, just seeing the opportunity in the space and seeing what's happening in the leather alternative space right now. I, I you know, wanted to, to dive in and see if we could come up with an innovation to meet the industry's needs. That is a perfect introduction because the idea is as the movement grows, as more and more people become vegan, the needs grow, you know, the... No demand for it grows. And I think that's one of our challenges is, you know, keeping in line with the demand. So right. do you have a sense of, even from a consumer standpoint, because many of our listeners are vegan professionals, you know, how is the movement and the professional kind of landscape going where people are starting to really demand these alternatives and look for these alternatives in, like we talked about earlier, different sectors, different business models, and then in, within different products? Sure. And I'll kind of step back a little bit and break it down for people because obviously a lot of people might be thinking, well, there's lots of vegan leathers. You know, I can get, I can get, you know, many things in vegan leather. The challenge, um, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to get interested in, or I got interested in this segment, is that we're seeing a lot of customer sentiment, in particular brand sentiment going against vegan leathers because most vegan leathers, um, almost all, like 99.9% .9 of vegan leathers are completely made of plastic. Now, the plastics have improved as, as much as plastic can over the years in that we used to, most vegan leathers used to be PVC, um, which mm -hmm. is very, very toxic. Then they became PU, polyurethanes. And the challenge with PUs is the end of life. You know, we're looking at a thousand years before those materials are going to break down. And so we've seen, you know, the put it in perspective, the animal leather industry is about an $85 billion industry and the synthetic leather industry is about a $30 billion industry. So collectively, you know, about 115 billion. And, um, you know, the the synthetic leather or plastic leather segment, you know, has captured a fair size of, of the market, but we've really kind of seen that leveling off and we're seeing brands really turning against moving toward all, you know, vegan, le vegan synthetic leathers because 
only because of the end of life, you know, so from a environmental standpoint on greenhouse gas emissions, water use, land use, vegan leathers are undoubtedly better. And me as a vegan, you know, I'm in this for animal welfare. So I'm, I'm personally comfortable with the current synthetic leathers that are out there because they're, they're, you know, keeping direct suffering from happening. But we are seeing customer sentiment change significantly against plastics. And so that's why this this what we call the next gen leather industry has kind of evolved where we're making different types of you know not uncaged we use grain components for we use a, a variety of components for ours but some people are using mushrooms some people are using mm-hmm. cactus pineapples so yes. there's a variety of innovators working on on new innovations yeah and that's one thing i think is really interesting is when you're seeing the innovations that are coming out with pineapple and mushroom and so forth it's kind of exciting especially it as a vegan and also you know, as we become more and more compassionate, we want to make yeah. sure that we're saving the animals, but then we're not doing a trade-off for the environment um, right. and the other kind of, you know, doing the PU leathers and so forth. So are you finding that people are excited about these alternatives? Do you feel like people are, is it the demand ahead of the innovation? Like where is the innovation and demand? Do you feel like they're like in the same race in a sense, or do you feel <laughs> like, you know, one is, is pushing the other forward? You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that Uncaged came in. So we started the company about two and a half years ago, and I'm, I'm kind of thankful that we started a bit later in the game. So, you know, when you look at companies like Pina Texas doing the pineapple leather, bolt threads, mm-hmm. microworks that are doing mushroom leathers, some of these companies have been around for 10, 14 years, right? So they've kind of laid the groundwork and they've kind of, you know, they've, they've, they've fought the hard battles, you know, kind of building awareness around the space. So I give them so much credit for that. But one challenge, some of the challenges we're seeing with some of them is like scaling or price points. There's a, dir- a variety of different kind of elements, you know, that have, have have kind of made it a challenge for the next gen leather industry to really reach bigger adoption. But I think that we're, you know, I think we're at a good tipping point and the, the demand is just unbelievable. I mean, the amount of in like we actually we we stayed in stealth mode for a while just because I knew how much demand was out there from fashion brands that we were we just weren't going to be ready to, to handle it. Because um, when a fashion brand contacts you, they don't you know, they don't want you to send you a swatch this big, you know, that comes yes. out of the lab. They want you to be able to send them, you know, something like like this that, you know, at least they can do some prototyping and things out of. And so, you know, we I can tell you within just the within the last three months, and this was with very minimal outbound marketing, you know, we run a little bit on our Instagram page and stuff, but we're not really doing much outbound. Um, we've had over 65 brands contact us. Wow. And I'm, I'm talking major global brands. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so it's, it's really the inbound interest is, is incredible, because they're looking for things that are more sustainable. And even though vegan leather is undoubtedly more sustainable than animal leather, it has an end of life challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, when you're working with brands, I mean, maybe whatever you can provide, you know, in this public <laughs> space, but when you're working with brands, you know, is it a true like partnership? Are you working with them on developing what is that next gen, maybe next options? Or is it more of that you really kind of developed, hey, this is the standard, and then everyone's taking that standard, and then they're designing more the fashion sense, the design, and so forth. How does that kind of partnership work? 
It really, it, you know, it, it is definitely a collaboration for sure, which is which is really fun. But what we we see a big difference is the small brands that we work with because we're working a lot of the the smaller vegan brands or just smaller fashion brands that care or focus on sustainability are very interested in this. Versus if we're working with, you know, we're we're working with a couple of the largest fashion houses in the world. So you know, like the <laughs> it's drastically different how you proceed through a collaboration with those two different organizations. Uh, but yeah, it's very very much. Um, it's, it's such a creative process for them. You know, for them, this isn't just a plug and play. Like they, they want to think about how they can use it and how they can message it and stuff. So it's, it's definitely a lot of fun collaboration. And we're also working with automotive brands. So um, we actually have an announcement coming out in the next month or so that one of the major automotive brands just invested in us. So we, we have, you know, there's an in, tremendous amount of demand from the electric vehicle divisions across the automotive industry um, following suit, you know, on what Tesla did. I think that is great because I think that's one of the biggest frustrations that many of us have as consumers because many of the, what they call the higher trims in cars, you know, when you're trying to go for safety features, unfortunately, they come standard, like in leather, they don't even come in options for you. And it would be a shame, you know, for someone to give up, you know, safety for that. So really making sure that consumers have options and also we just take animals out of the equation is really the key. Um, because it's so unnecessary. So how do you kind of, when you think about the work that you're doing day in and day out, like when someone's trying to kind of get a sense of what's it like, not only <laughs> to be you, but with be in your, in your organization, are you guys thinking about what's next? What's the next kind of tier? What's the next frontier? Because I, I think this is different for other entrepreneurial businesses because you're working more in it kind of wholesale or like you said, someone's mm-hmm. investing B2B. in the future. You're doing more B2B kind of work as opposed to you're working directly with consumers. So maybe walk us through what that kind of day in the life is like when you're the one creating the materials that all brands around the world could use and you become that you know, driving force and potentially driving change across all of these other businesses. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think just because of the the phase where we're at and where the infancy is of this industry, even though it's been around for a while, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of hovered and hasn't really taken off quite yet um, as far as adoption across fashion brands. So you see various brands, like for example, Stella McCartney with bolt threads, you know, people are doing like one-off pieces, but you're Mm -hmm. not seeing somebody like a New Balance saying, you know, we're replacing all our leather with next-gen leathers. Like we're, you know, we're we're not there yet at that tipping point. So quite honestly, I think for us and probably a lot of innovators in the space, it's more right now around getting getting that market penetration, you know, just because with these fashion brands and, you know, we're lo- you're looking at an 18 to 24 month time frame from the time you start talking till the time you see something on a shelf and automotive's even crazier, like a five-year time frame. So, you know, at this point, it's, it's just, I think a lot of like the day in the life for me is making the right decisions around where do we put our energy, you know, as a small startup that has so much incoming demand. Uh, for example, we get contacted by, custom interior decorators. We got contacted by a company that makes one-off um, custom jets, <laughs> you know, so like we, we kind of, and, and you'd be amazed, like the, the performance requirements for a watch fan are drastically different than the, or, or different from a, the 
custom requirements for, I'm sorry, the, the performance requirements for a wallet, which is even more different from a shoe, which is more different from a car interior, which is more different, you know, so, you know, you kind of have, for, I think for a lot of the day in life for me is kind of deciding strategically, where do we focus? Where do we put our energy as a startup? Because you've got to survive those startup days and, and make yes. the right, every, every decision is a, is a key decision. We, we can't afford to make the wrong decision. Absolutely. And that's why I love kind of this conversation we're having today, because often we're talking about like marketing and running a business in real time mm -hmm. in the sense that like, you know, you're shipping out next week, you know, you're sending out product or you have a campaign, you know, coming in the next couple of months. And I think, like you said, with your business, it's a much more strategic play. You really have yeah. to think about where are the trends going, what are the needs? And like you said, because of production timelines, you really have to have a much stronger kind of strategic mindset. So I guess my follow-up question is going to be around that strategic mindset. Like how do you stay sharp? How do you make sure you do have a good balance between the short-term and long-term? Because when I talk with a lot of vegan entrepreneurs, they struggle with finding that balance because there are the demands of today. There are the meetings right. we all have to go to and the emails we have to do, right. but it can be hard sometimes to think a year, 12 months, 18 months in advance, let alone five years in advance. Yeah. And, you know, my, rec you know, I, I smile because I've been in the business world for decades. And, you know, back in the day when I started my first company, you know, you did this 40 page business plan of, you know, like <laughs> thinking out what you're going to do every month for the next five years and who all you're going to hire. And, you know, now we're kind of gone are the days of that, you know, you do the pitch deck for for your investors or you kind of net it out. And um, so, but I do think, you know, there's never any harm in planning out the big picture and then also breaking it down into chunks. So that's something that I, I personally do to make things less overwhelming. So you might set, set this, you know, big one-year goal and then break it down into quarters and then break it up down into months. And so that's like with our team, we have, you know, yearly KPIs, but then we break it up down into monthly. And just so we're constantly, it makes a, it makes a big goal seem less overwhelming when, when you break it down a bit. Um, but yeah, and then I also try to do things like where I only check you know, emails at certain hours, like check them because I, I can get sucked into emails really easy. I feel like emails are like boomerangs. You send one out and like, you know, one, you know, three come back, you know? So, um, so yeah, so I think that that's one. I also try to schedule thinking hours where I, I set, and sometimes I'll even have one of my team be on like video chat with me and I'll say, okay, for the next hour, I'm going to be working on reviewing our pitch deck, you know, the design work from the pitch deck and you know something that I might procrastinate because <laughs> it's because it's such a hard thing to think about and you don't want to make the wrong decision so I'll do like a working session with that where I know that person's staring at me and within an hour from now they're going to be like where are you at with that you know so um, I do little little tricks like that to just it's just always so much on your plate as an entrepreneur you, you know it's easy 24 7 job yeah absolutely and those emails they are serious you're, you're exactly. right with that boomerang because it, it's amazing how many come back after you <laughs> You're like, okay, I've done well. I did it. And then right. it's like, wait a minute, they're coming. Yeah. So I know exactly what you mean. Now, <laughs> one thing that kind of pops in my mind is how can consumers help with the work that you're doing? How can mm. consumers move things forward? Because, you know, in the food industry, when a lot of these beginning stages were happening, you know, what we had people do was like go to their grocery store and ask people to carry A, B, and C product, or, you know, or write a letter or, you know what I mean, and, and reach out and kind of be consumers. For the work that you're doing, is there a role right now for individuals who are maybe not entrepreneurs or maybe not in yeah. the B2B space and how they can either help create more demand or how they can create more awareness around the work that you're doing? Yes, yeah, so I think a couple of thoughts. One, you know, if they're 
a fan of a company that doesn't have good vegan, you know, isn't doing things in vegan leathers. Um, you know, they can always go like submit a comment on their social posts or send an email into, you know, their, their contact form and say, listen, I, you know, I love your brand, but I'm a vegan. I'd love to see you have more vegan products. You know, that, that's kind of just an activist thing we used to do too, you know, just to, the, the, the animal welfare groups would encourage people to go and entice, you know, tell companies like, I, you know, that, that there, there's demand for these. And then the other thing I think in this situation is voting with your dollars. You know, there are there, you know, when there are items out there, like, you know, if Stella McCartney comes out with something or there's various really great, lots of great um, vegan brands, you know, such as like Luxstra, Melina Butcher, Will's Vegan. There's a variety of other kinds of, you know, more luxury or, you know, they're going to be more, more expensive than, you know, maybe going to the mall and picking up something cheap. But, you know, that's another way like to support those brands that are really trying to do the right thing. So those, those are a couple of things that, um, that I'd recommend if people have the time and, and resources. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we support our vegan businesses because yeah. that's how we drive the change. That's how we get more products available. And that's also how we you know, this kind of concept that, you know, veganism becomes part of the fabric of life, you know, yeah. where you go to the mall, you drop online, everywhere you go, there's an option out there. It's no longer just the, you know, one website you go to or the two stores, you know, that are 40 minutes away <laughs> that carry the right. products. The <laughs> idea is that, you know, there should be options literally almost everywhere. Right. And we're seeing that more and more, I think, in other industries. As I say, that's something I try to tell brands is nobody is more loyal than a vegan. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as customers go, like, we'll drive to the other side of town. We will totally inconvenience ourselves to go get something that we feel passionate about, right? And we're loyal, too. Yes. And so I, it was... Um, yeah. And, and we want quality too. We, we, you know, I think that um, the brand, like you were talking about at the beginning or the brands that are, thinks that the vegans just want the canvas bags and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, that has its place, but, you know, we also want things that look luxurious and unfortunately luxury in people's minds, you know, has that nice look to it or excuse me, leather. Um, so, yeah. So I think that uh, br businesses need to remember how loyal vegans can be. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why a large part of what we do as entrepreneurs has to be education. We really have to spend time helping people understand why we're investing in these products, why we want to make sure that these options are available, because it's true. You know, there's certain things that I can grab when I'm just, you know, going to the grocery store. Right. But if I'm going to dress in like, you know, something nice, I'm going to a formal, right. you know, my burlap bag is not going to cut it. <laughs> and the exactly. idea is... You know, from head to toe, I really would want to be, you know, you want to be completely vegan from head to toe because right. I think, yes, many people may start with the food, but the more and more you bring it into your lifestyle, you start to realize that, okay, I want my shoes aligned. I want my purse yeah. aligned. I want those things. And, you know, I came from a generation, um, and I'm probably telling my age here, but like when I was a kid, you know, the idea is that leather used to be a equal quality of shoes. Like when we were like little kids, mm. they were like, oh, these are the shoes that you want because of A, B, right. and C. And I think sometimes those seeds get planted deep in us. Yeah. And therefore we have to start educating consumers on what is true value and right. what materials you should be looking for in your products, because it's not just for longevity that you're looking for mm -hmm. that, you know, it's almost a twist and I'm and kind of mixing up like three questions here at once, but you know what I mean? There's the twist of 
do you want something to last forever? Because you do yeah. want it to last, but lasting forever is really beyond that kind of environmental thing. We do want it to break down, right. but we also want it to be quality at the same time. So I guess as I unwind this que- this long question I'm asking you is, how do you work through that education process? How do you reprogram people that maybe have some of these deep-seated things right. that have been passed down to them, but also help them see vegan leather in a new light? Well, I actually, um, I actually have a pretty quick trick for that, which I've, it works fairly amazingly well because skin, you know, people talk about that leather is natural, but it, it was natural when it belonged to the cow or, you know, when it just came, you know, when it was skin, but it has to go through a process that is essentially similar to embalming of a body. So when I tell people that leather is embalmed skin, it changes their perspective very quickly. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, they'll be like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, of course you want to, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, and of course you want to do it in a non, you know, confrontational way, but just, you know, because, you know, leathers is, is, it is a skin and they have to do something to it to keep it from breaking down. So after it's gone through the chemical process, um, which is uses very toxic chemicals, uh, very harsh chemicals, I should say, it's, you know, essentially doing to it what you would, how you would involve a body, you know, to keep it from breaking down. And, you know, leather, once it gets buried or goes into, you know, end of life will take probably about 50 years to break down. Whereas like solutions that we're working on will be biodegrade within under a year. And so, you know, that it, that when I kind of go into that, um, that really kind of sets it straight, you know, because people like to think of leather as natural. So that's more in the fashion industry where they're, they're thinking about that. But for consumers, they do think it of, of luxury. So when I talk about the embalmed skin or the mummified skin, it kind of changes their perspective really quickly. Again, you a lot of vegan leathers now are, are almost all are, are plastic based. So I don't, you, you know, in the spirit of trying to save animals, I don't um, really kind of go into that very much with people because I'm just trying to get them to convert in general to, to vegan leathers. But if they ask me, you know, what's, you know, a lot of people are becoming more and more aware that synthetics are plastic based and, you know, that's bad for the environment too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more and more we understand how things are made, I think we have the same challenges on the food side where, you know, we were disconnected from the process, you know, even from the advertisement, you know, you see the advertisements and there were all this greenery and, you know, animals were kind of (laughs) parading around as if, you know, it's this type of lifestyle. And then now we're starting to see what really does happen on these farms and how they truly are turning into factories. It's a very Mm -hmm. different perspective. And I think for all of the products that we consume, the products that we use, we really have to understand what it takes to get them to our door what is the process to get them to our door and get them to those ideas where, yeah, it feels like it's long lasting. Mm-hmm. But like you said, that's almost counterintuitive because right. do you want something that's going to take 50 years to break down? Because that means it's sitting in potentially a landfill, you know, it's really hurting our yeah. environment. So it, it's, a, it's a different way of thinking about not just consuming products, but a different way of thinking about how and what we are choosing and also what brands we decide to support. Yeah. And I will say, because I, before this, as as we discussed earlier, you know, I was in the plant-based meat industry. So I come from the vegan food space. The good news is about this segment, there's much less barriers to entry. You know, people like tech on their body and they like tech in their cars and they like change. You know, they want new clothes, new trends, new designs. They're not as emotionally attached to their leather as they might be to their chicken or, you know, what 
I just, you know, in general with this industry, you know, I truly okay. feel, even though I think so many wonderful things are happening in the food space and such brilliant people, they're moving that forward. I do think as a planet, we'll probably be wearing and sitting on and sleeping on all vegan materials um, before everybody's eating all vegan, just because it's, it's just not as hard of an emotional switch for people. Yeah, that's a really good point to make. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes when we think about driving change, sometimes yeah. we have to take the path of least resistance to get exactly. someone there. Because once they open up to the message, then they'll be more willing to maybe evaluate and maybe hopefully make some other exactly. changes as well. Exactly. Plants a seed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. let's make sure everyone, if they want to follow your story, if they want to keep up with the work mm -hmm. that you're doing, what is the best for, way for them to stay in touch, reach out, whether it's social, website, email, what's the best approach? So first of all, our website is uncagedinnovations.com. So you can go there and get to contact forms and also our social media channels. But given that this particular community, I would say find us on LinkedIn also. Our Uncaged Innovations will come right up and you know you can keep on track of our story and new announcements. And we also share information about what's going on in the industry in general. So please follow us there and be a great way to keep in touch. Perfect. And then as we wrap up today, I always like to ask people kind of to share maybe their personal mantras, things that help them stay motivated, you know, continue doing what they're doing, especially yourself being an entrepreneur for a lot of years. Do you have any advice for anyone out there, whether they're struggling, whether they're having a hard time, or they're trying to start a business, um, or they're just having a bad day <laughs> that you yes. use kind of to move to move forward and, 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 you know, and continue to do the great work that you're doing? Yes, and mine mine's probably sort of un, unusual compared to other ones you've heard. So I kind of I grew up in a family. I was supposed to be the 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 son that my father always wanted, you know. So he kind of always treated me like a boy, and would you know if I if I was whining about something, he'd be like, "I didn't raise a sissy," and like he, he just really kind of pushed me along. So I, I always I kind of have this when I start to get down, I kind of just. I pump myself up by, by thinking, um, you know, about that things could be harder. So I will sometimes say to myself, suck it up. You could be a chicken on a factory farm. That's what I'll think to myself. So, <laughs> so it could be worse. A difficult you life. can get through this day. It's not that bad, you know? Um, and, and so just, you know, Matt, you got to fight for them, right? Somebody's got to fight for them. So we're here to, we're here to take the hard days to hopefully make their lives better. Absolutely. And I love that taking the hard days to make their lives better. <laughs> We did have someone just stop by. They were saying they love the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Lucy, for dropping that. Oh, note hi, here. Lucy. So I really, really appreciate having time to kind of talk. Yeah. Um, you know, it feels like we could probably talk way, way, way longer. <laughs> but it's so exciting to see not only the work that you're doing, it's so exciting to hear about this kind of new generation that is coming. And also to hear, um, you know, about your big announcement coming out soon. <laughs> but just knowing that, there's more options that are coming to the table. There are more ways that we can change the world, save animals. And it's also exciting to hear that, you know, you have brands like yourself that are looking towards innovation, you know, like you said, bringing tech closer and closer to us, which we all are consuming at large amounts these days. So thank you, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you so much for taking some time today to talk about what you're doing. And, you know, I really wish you all the best. Perfect, perfect. Thank you. And thank you for everything that you do. Thanks so much. And everyone who joined us, whether you joined us live today, thank you so much for jumping in, dropping comments. I see a couple of likes and thumbs ups and hearts that are popping up on some of the other platforms. So please, please, please continue to give those um, because I just think the work that um, Stephanie and the team is doing is just amazing. And I just can't wait to, you know, experience it as, <laughs> as a consumer, <laughs> but also as an entrepreneur, just, you know, <laughs> 
seeing um, you know vegan entrepreneurs always gets me excited. But if you do have any questions as a follow up to any of these interviews, please use the comments wherever you are looking, or if you're listening to this in our podcast, you know let us know if you have any questions. We will always pass them over to Stephanie. But as always, thank you, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. And I hope today was not only an inspiration, but also a doorway into all of our futures, especially as, you know, key players in the vegan movement. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye. I'll see you in the next interview. Bye. Thanks for listening to Pivot our vegan business interview podcasts. This is recorded as a live streaming session. So I hope you'll join us for future interviews as well. We offer these interviews to help vegan entrepreneurs stay connected with the vegan business community. If you're interested in more in-depth insights or training, please consider subscribing to one of our premium podcasts, Going Solo or Fix It. Visit veganmainstream.com to learn more or click on the links in the show notes.